0: that naturopathic podcast tnp hello
1: there hi and thanks for joining us i'm dr carat And i'm
0: dr david miller and we hear your frustrations this show is for you
1: this show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health
0: This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well.
1: This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan.
0: This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting it all together.
1: This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of health care. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it.
0: And we want you to know it.
1: Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you need to know about.
0: Hi, and welcome to another episode of That Naturopathic Podcast. I'm Dr. David Miller.
1: And I'm Dr. Kara Denisio. So today we are joined by our friend and colleague, Dr. Mary Choi. Uh, welcome, Mary. Hi, guys. It is such a pleasure to be here, and
2: I'm so excited to share um, some really exciting stuff on what we're going to talk about. But I first wanted to say that um, Dave and Kara, you guys are naturopathic rock stars, and I'm so. Um, impressed and and happy to be a part of this movement where you're trying to put naturopathic medicine on the map so thank you so much for this opportunity thanks no
0: thanks so much mary um we've already had uh, us and uh, mary have already had a good laugh and a good chat so uh really happy to invite you into a fun chat with mary because she's super smart but she's also super funny so mary make sure you're funny today okay Okay,
2: that's just no pressure, no pressure, we want, the nerd side.
0: we want the nerd side, and we want the fun.
1: Mary, Mary is a, uh, she's a pretty badass force, so uh, I'll just tell you a little bit about Mary. So, she is a naturopathic doctor in the beaches, um, in The Toronto. upper beaches. The upper beaches. <laughs> um, she is, uh, she just has a pretty new clinic, uh, which is beautiful and based on an awesome concept it's called Soma and Soul Wellness. And uh, hopefully, Mary can tell us a little bit about that. And uh, she's a mom of four to add to the list of of her things she's doing. And Mary, really, we're having her talk today on her expert advice on weight loss. And in particular, uh, women's health, hormones, and weight loss. uh, But all things weight loss today.
0: Yeah, and Mary, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you've been up to in the last, I think you were doing some speaking event recent? Recently, do you want to tell us a little bit about that?
2: Sure. Um, well, there was a—I was a keynote presenter at a conference that was just over uh, this weekend, and I, what I realized is, I am so passionate about this project, and and the reason why is because weight loss is a massive epidemic, and and the, the what I was finding. So I'm I'm a numbers and stats and big picture junkie, and I am so incredibly passionate about really trying to. To, to help my patients and not even help my patients, but really just help the public, the community, so that we can all be be healthier and live happier lives. Because if we're all healthier, if we're all happier, we're gonna be living out what we want. And so part of it is that I was just fascinated by the staggering numbers that I was finding. So um, just to give you a little tidbit. So what we're noticing is that the obesity trends, so let's say in the 1960s and 1970s, the BMI, so that the BMI is where we will measure people's um, body mass, fat mass. And so if you are over a certain value, then we continue, we consider you'd be overweight. So back in the 60s, the majority of the population, the average was sitting at under 20%, which puts you very much in like a normal healthy Place And over time, so this is the 1960s, so now taking us here, we are talking that the population has moved to almost like over 64% of adults, Canadian adults over the age of 18, are obese and overweight. You know what that means? That means that only 34% of our population, our Canadian population, is normal. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
2: What you have to understand is that we are, as Canadians, are we're failing. That's an F. Mm-hmm. Me being a Korean Canadian, I would have gotten like in a lot of trouble if that was the report
1: card that I brought home, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's more normal in Canada to be overweight or obese. Or Absolutely, woman, I guess.
2: Absolutely, and as a, on a global scale, Canada is actually doing better than many other nations within the world. So this is not only a Canadian issue. This is like, this is a global issue. This is worldwide. So partly the idea of trying to work on the forefront of helping obesity, this is, this is an everybody issue. This is doctors. This is nutritionists. This is dietitians. This is your neighbor. This is your, you're working with your mother, a daughter, a sister, a brother. Like this is like, we all have to be working at this together.
0: hmm And and how like do you see this problem with obesity um, or this increased prevalence of obesity as like a problem in and of itself, or do you see it as like symptomatic of something else?
2: Yeah, great question, Dave. So what I really think is um, obesity. Is a symptom, and and I don't ever think that you know my patients will come in and their chief concern is to lose weight, um, because that is a large portion of my population that I deal with, but obesity and their their inability to lose weight, <clears throat> that's not the problem. What and we'll talk about that hopefully deeper today is that weight loss or sorry their inability to lose weight or their body's holding weight is actually a symptom of a much greater problem. And, and I really think that comes down to stress is one of humanity's greatest hurdles today, but really, It's our lifestyle and our lifestyle to manage that stress so whether it's divorce whether it's you've had four kids under the age of four that was my life Mm -hmm. whether um you've just opened a brand new clinic again my life i'll stop talking about me but um uh, at the same time (laughs) all at the same
1: time (laughs) why not
2: Um, but it's it's you know now we have baby boomer parents and so we are we're struggling because our parents have dementia, or um, have fallen, and we need to care for them. And then we also have young children. Um, we have we have jobs, and if you live in Toronto, you've got this ginormous mortgage to pay. And so, we are all struggling, and we are all drowning. And so what do we do to sort of patch that? Because the thing is, is that we don't want to be failing in everything we're doing. You got to show up to work. You got to get your kids to daycare. You got to pay for that all. Mm-hmm. You've got the car, the house, the lights, and you got to feed, you got to put food on the table. So there has been tremendous amount of change that has happened. And what we are all doing is to just survive it all. And what happens is our health, our sleep, our exercise, And mainly our food are what suffer the most. Mm -hmm. So now it's really just trying to patch convenience because all of these other things take higher priority. And so what my messaging is and why um, I'm so excited that you invited me here today is that I want people to understand that if you actually embrace your own health from the foundational things of sleep, of nutrition, that you can actually start to be much healthier in every single aspect of your life. You can work better, you can run faster, you can manage your household if your child is sick. So my analogy of the body is that, let's say um, you're a Formula One race car, right? And so you wanna be the best at that race. The thing is, is you're not gonna put tires that are on sale on your car, right? You're not going to fuel up with unleaded gas, right? Just because it's convenient. You are going to take care of that vehicle. And why? It's because you want that car to win. So if you are a winner, if you want to perform, if you want all the best things out of your life, then why wouldn't you fuel it properly? And Mm -hmm. that really distills down to your food, your water, and your sleep.
0: Yeah, it's so simple. I talk about... um the blunt tools of diet and lifestyle a lot with my patients. Like they're sort of unsexy, but they're like tried, tested, and true. And the more you get into the, you know, you're a real expert in this, but uh, even in the bit that I've delved into it, I've just always been amazed at how much of it is, honestly, it's just so such simple stuff that you just have to stay consistent. But Dave,
2: I I disagree with you. I think it is so sexy. I think the simplicity is so sexy because believe me if you dial it down then yeah your testosterone is gonna go higher and you are you're gonna have also probably great sex because you're not thinking of all this stuff at night right yeah. or maybe you're now you're having sex in the morning you're feeling so good. This is but getting if,
0: fun already there's it is. been disagreements and <laughs> sex talk already.
1: I that visceral fat if once you get rid of it your your testosterone goes up that's there's a good sell. Absolutely <laughs> yeah. and I love that mind mind shift Uh, change, Mary, Um, to think, as you said, of thinking of weight or being overweight as a symptom, because I love thinking of a lot of things as a symptom. We think, you know, a lot of people would think of them as a health problem or a disease, but things like, um, you know, your menstrual cycles or your sex drive or your energy level, Um, Mm -hmm. weight can be in there. And I like actually talking about them as a vital sign, like that's a vital sign or a symptom of, the whole ecosystem and physiology of your body.
2: Absolutely, I completely agree. Like let's say for example, so this is a very popular story that comes into my office, right? And so I deal with um, many different people, mainly a lot of women, but Partly, I think part of the change has been a lot. It's, it's like keeping up with the Joneses, right? But the thing is, the Joneses now have a yacht. They have a vacation home in Florida. They have a cottage. They have this million dollar home in Toronto. And the thing is, is that, you know who's paying for that? It's the, it's the wife it's the mother, it's the modern woman. And so, you know, it, it's funny, um, I'm, I'm working with this fabulous woman and she just sent me that she had done this advertising, um, this advertising uh, project and it was all about uh, Lean Cuisine. And so Lean Cuisine came on the market in 1981. Right. And part of it is that, you know, this woman is in this ad in this aerobics outfit with leg warmers and she looks sensational in front of the mirror. Uh Right. But partly she can exercise. She's going to work and she's got this beautiful hot meal under 400 calories on the table in two minutes. Right. So if you look at that picture, it's like, what is she selling? she is selling that she can do it all. And that's what the modern woman is trying to do, right? Now the modern woman is, she is CFO. She is making the money, right? But at the same time, our responsibilities are exactly the same. We are still nurturing children at night. We are still scheduling play dates. We're still signing them up for summer camp, right? And at least this is what's happening in my household. You know, I love my husband dearly, and he is a fabulous man and father. Um, But when it comes to these nitty gritties, these little bits, this is what I take care of, right, as well as go to work. So the now health
0: changed, it's, it hasn't added to your sort of um, expectate expected workload as a mother.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So now the thing is, is if you take this back years ago, before you even see this trend in obesity kind of hit the roof and hit the ceiling or blow through the ceiling now, part of it is that we've left the home, we've left this simplicity, right? And so who is cooking that meal? And, you know, it's Uber Eats, right? Or it's who you're dialing on the end of Uber Eats. And what the hell is in that food? Mm -hmm. right Mm
0: -hmm.
2: so that's it it's it's frozen in a package and you know and this is not the fault of the people because the public themselves we are just trying to survive so that's that's I think our piece as naturopaths and that's really our value is how do we get these people to be able to just take it a step back and really get you back in the kitchen. Get you shopping around the perimeter of your grocery store. Pick up a broccoli. It doesn't have to be, you know, already made into a broccoli pie in the back freezer at the grocery store. Right. Um, it really matters who's made that food, where that food's coming from, and what your body's doing with it, because it doesn't recognize the things. That aren't that simple, and so it's just returning to simplicity, right? I want you to condo mare your body. That's the word. Ha,
1: love it. Mm-hmm. So, Mary, I'm sure that's a common story that comes into your office. What are some of the other stories of your patients who? know they need to lose weight but don't know how to start or perhaps have tried many different things what are what are your patients saying or what's yeah
0: what are they saying what's going on in their mind like what has driven them what's the thing that's been like you know what I got to go see someone to get help what drove them to come to you
2: you know what it's so funny because so now we have this statistic right we've got um, over 64% of the Canadian population right now is overweight and so what, what motivates that person to come in the office? And this is the question I often ask all the patients. But the traditional story is um, patient comes in the office. Let's call her, let's call her um, Denise. She comes in and I've met Denise a 100 times. And Denise and you maybe are Denise, right? Listening. And so what Denise's story is, is I've been overweight my whole entire life. My parents are fat. I'm fat. Um,
1: I don't it's know genetic. why. It's genetic. I hear.
2: Sure. It's genetic, right? Yeah. Um, or uh, it's cultural. Um, sure. Or it was passed down to me, right? I, there's nothing I can do about it. But in part, what this person is living with is that they have always been fat, right? And they struggle with it. Um, so, Denise for example, um, one of my, uh, one great client that I have is, is that person, but this person is like, she's a a power executive. She's so unbelievably successful in every single aspect of her life, right? Um, She's making the money. She is performing on every single level. She's well-loved by her community, her family. Um, But this is the one place where she cannot succeed right? She's been on every diet. And so she's been able to lose a little bit or maybe not even a lot. So really, the question is, is like, why can she not sustain weight loss? Or why is her body holding that weight? And so there is this idea, this concept, if I eat less, if I move more, I will lose weight. But the thing is, is that this concept, this has been hammered and hammered and hammered in through many, many um, authorities, right? We're looking at the CDC. This is their mandate on how people should lose weight, right? The American um, Heart Association, same thing, right? And so if we eat less, we move more, we lose weight. So what happens to the individual that's doing that? Right. And this is the pain points of many of my patients that come in. They are struggling because they are following this equation and the weight is not coming off. Mm -hmm. Now they're starving themselves. So they're virtually eating nothing, eating less than a thousand calories a day. And you know what they're doing? They're training for triathlons. They are cycling for three hours. They're hitting the gym seven times a week, twice a day. So now we're driving this like like the biggest eating disorders are coming from this population that is overweight, and and part of it is they don't want to be part of this stigma where you know if you look at someone who's overweight, then what they are obviously gluttonous, right? They're There's lazy. A lot
0: of judgments that happen when
2: absolutely, yep. and so they're so. What we're talking about is this is their shame, right? Mm-hmm. So these people can succeed in every single point portion of their life, but this is the one place where they're always failing. And then what that does is that puts you into this horrific place of shame. And so part of it is that what I'm trying to teach my patients is that we can unlock it. There's lots that we can do here to help because it's a much more complex issue than just eating less, moving more and losing weight. There's actually a fabulous study, one of the first studies that existed in this sort of a place. Um, it's Dr. Ansel Keys, and it's called the starvation study. So this is what they did. They starved um, a group of 35 men in so a laboratory setting. They psychologically assess them. They physically assess them. And they essentially starve them for 24 weeks. For six months, they, they really reduced their calories. And so they controlled it also by making them walk um, 22 miles a week. So, Because uh, other studies have shown if we actually reduce what you eat, you actually will reduce your activity. So we, our brains, our bodies are hot, hardwired to compensate always to reach balance. Mm-hmm. So this study, they starved them. And they made the move. And what was predicted is that for calories in versus calories out, so just like I was saying, eat less, move more, they should have lost 78 pounds by the end of the 24 weeks. Do you know how much they lost? Can you guess? Seven. Seven pounds? Yeah. Okay. Dave? Mm. Ten. Ten. Okay. Now you guys are making me look bad. So they lost more than that, but they were supposed to lose almost 80 pounds and they lost less than half of that. Okay. Okay. They lost 35 pounds on average through the group. So then the question is, well, what the hell's going on? Mm -hmm. You know,
1: I heard an analogy once, uh, that about weight loss that said you are not an ATM machine. So, you know, the funds going in and the funds you withdraw, that doesn't create a perfect balance sheet when it's applied to the world of weight loss.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. And you're also not, like I heard this one and I wrote it too, you are not a calorimeter.
1: You
2: are not a calorimeter, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like if you or know what a ATM calorimeter seat, yeah. is,
0: then like, you know, you're a hell of a lot more magical than a calorimeter. Like the magic that goes on in metabolism and the body and physiology and the neuropsychological behavioral aspects that are going on interdependent systems like it's crazy to to sort of dumb it down to calorimetry right which is what you're talking about there you're saying okay you take a monotheistic sort of like i'm only looking at calories view it should have been twice as much and it's just there's we know there's way more than that
2: absolutely i completely agree so part of it is you know what a person has to understand is that if you're really suffering and you can't lose weight, it might be more than that. Right. And so it's trying to understand what is your total health saying? What are your hormones saying? Because I believe there's a massive impact of that um, and really trying to get to the, the root cause of why your body is not releasing weight.
0: Mary, do you think everyone's experiencing shame? I thought that was really interesting when you brought that up. Like uh, most people are experiencing some degree of shame about uh, the weight that they're carrying. Can you talk a little bit more about that or the, the different faces of shame, if that's true?
2: Well, I think in part, what you have to understand is that weight is a very an emotional piece. And so if we look back to, you know, what, what does fat do? Um, fat it, it's a protective mechanism that's what that's what it's there for it wraps around our organs it wraps around our body it keeps us warm it insulates us it protects us so what I actually find from an energetic and emotional space is that when patients are in this place where they require protection maybe you're going through a divorce maybe you're in an abusive relationship um, maybe you you know are had a really painful childhood you um, the thing is, is that we might turn to the food for comfort. So that's in part part of the work that I do with my clients is we really are trying to uncover why they maybe have some of these food um, relationships and trying to get at the feeling to free them up so that they are feeling better. Right. Um, I have this one client, for example, um, you know, part of the premise of my program is I get people to do part of timed feeding and that's how we kind of encourage the metabolism to, to burn weight. Um, but I have a patient who was really struggling with um, not drinking her coffee for two hours in the morning. And when we really, you know, part of it is I could have coached her in two ways. I could have said, you know, you have this goal. We need you to get to that goal weight. Um, just cut the coffee. You can't have it you know, and, and really sort of give her that, um, that hard lesson. You got it (laughs) right. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But instead, the way that I coached her is to really kind of understand, you know, why is it that you need that coffee for two hours in the morning? And what comes, what her story is, as we kind of um, go inside and and, and unravel all of this and unpack what her, her story is, it comes out to the fact that her husband died four years ago. She is now retired and has so much pain because of the weight. So her hip doesn't work. So she can't walk. And so now she's in her home and she's working with me because she actively wants to lose the weight. But part of it is that she now has lost purpose. She has no purpose. And so those two hours where she drank the coffee was for her to... Um, play on the computer and just hang out and veg out. And what that coffee gave her, it just gave her a sense of purpose. But when the coffee was done, it was like, well, now I should actually do something. But she had nothing to do. She had nowhere to go, right? She couldn't go anywhere. She couldn't even go for a walk because of her hip. So in part, what we have to understand and we have to unlock for some of these people is maybe that food provides something else um, I have another story of this wonderful woman. Um, and we've actually completely stopped with the weight loss and really actively trying to um, get her to, to move physically because her emotional holdings are that, um, you know, she was able to lose weight, but the weight would continue to come on. And my work is really, I, I'm really dedicated to trying to make sustainable change for my clients. And so what I was finding out was that this one individual, you know, thank god for her always coming back into the office because she really wanted to understand her cycle and break that cycle of of constantly losing and gaining and losing and gaining but when she was gaining what she was doing is that she understood that she was um, what the food gave her was freedom that was the feeling so freedom if you what? exactly And so it's really trying to understand why was she trying to relive that feeling and that feeling she could only relive through free choice with food. And that free choice of food meant that she could have cookies, she could have beer, she could have cake, she could have whatever she wanted on the menu. And so any diet, right, it restricted her. And what we actually have uncovered, um, and part of it is that I, I, the advancements with my clients is because we work with the team here over at Soul Men Soul Wellness. Um, so she's working now with our mindfulness therapist as well before we actually try to get to the physical body. But part of it, the work here is that that freedom. It actually, if you dial it back, it came from her childhood. So she was overweight her whole life, and her parents never let her ever make a decision about food at the grocery store ever because she was fat right so for her that food came for like freedom of choice right That's and so of it. That was the meaning. So it came to freedom. So whenever she didn't feel free, whether it was within her work or within her relationship or um, within even her life, it's like now I have responsibilities as a mother. I got to go to work. I don't want to do any of these things. If she felt any of this angst, you know what she did? She ate. She drank. And so until we can actually get her to a place where she can feel that freedom through other means she'll forever keep living that cycle. So that's the that's the deep work that we're doing here over at Solomon's Soul is we're trying to really understand the relationships and people that people have with food so that they can they can they can free themselves, right? So that they can release the fat, Dave, like you said, because that is a protection. So once they're ready to not feel protected, then then we can release that weight. Some people don't have that stuff and then they can simply follow a program and, and the weight is unlocked and, and, and it just lets go. Did you just um, call Dave fat? Did I call you fat? Did you just call Dave fat? Thanks, Mary. <laughs> Sorry, I can only see you chest up. So, uh,
0: uh, no, that, I, this is really, um, there's a couple things I want to talk about. One, I just think Mary, that's so cool that you're doing that at, uh, you know, with your team at Soma Soul, because it just shows how uh, when you have a good naturopath, like I'm, I'm going to sort of say, exemplify you as making like uh, a good show of what a good naturopath can do, because what you're doing is you're taking all the different aspects of what we do and the different lenses we have of looking at things and putting them into one, because if you just download some programs, some 30 day program, uh, that does not acknowledge these other intricacies or interrelated things that are going on all the time. And I just think that uh, will just sort of big you up as a, you know, a, a good example of having many different ways to view a problem. You know, when you only have a hammer, everything looks like a nail and we got a tool belt, you know, so I think that's you're really showing um, just a, a good assessment and a good, good appreciation of the uh, complexity of this mm-hmm. stuff.
1: Yeah. And maybe we should go there next. Um, I love that you started with, you know, some mental, emotional, even spiritual contexts um, of weight loss, because it is a, a topic that those are quite heavy on um, and need to be addressed. And I love how So and Soul is really integrating that into your approach. Um, maybe we can get on to a little bit. Uh, what does your weight loss assessment look like and maybe transition into some of the physical or physiological factors?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, okay, let's say so a patient comes in, like Denise, and and just wants to lose weight, right? And let's say she's tried all the diets, or she really is like, I don't know what to eat. I've read that chickpeas are bad for me, I can't eat dairy, I don't understand if gluten's good for me. So, So what do I do? So they would come in, but Generally my assessment includes so we do we run a whole gamut of blood work because I want to understand how is she responding to sugar and carbohydrates when she eats them. So my favorite test I'm I'm often looking at insulin. And so most assessments done through their conventional medical doctor if they can't lose weight is that they will assess only their let's say fasting sugars, um, they'll run their cholesterols, they'll look possibly at liver enzymes to make sure if they have fatty liver or not. Um, And often it's the scale, right? Um, And they're kind of left at that. But if your blood sugar is within normal range, and and that range can go to six, they're often left alone. What I actually find um, kind of concerning is that the conversation the doctor doesn't have with the patient is, you know what, we should really start actively looking at your nutrition um, because you're, you're nearing diabetes, right? That conversation doesn't happen until, you know, and not for all doctors, I'm not throwing them all under the bus, but partly it's that, you know, now you have diabetes, let's do something about this. And so that's the work that I'm trying to get patients to really understand is let's work on issues before they become issues so that you can live your life as that formula one race car for the rest of your life. So assessment. So I would like to look at their thyroid health and, and this is also a complete look at the thyroid health. So usually they are like, Oh, my doctor tells me the story is my doctor. I thought it was my thyroid. I mean, Oprah really highlighted the thyroid. She's a thyroid girl. Um, so we know her battles with weight loss, um, all over the place. But the thing is is that Oprah had a hyperthyroid. So by definition, she should have been thin, right? right. Her metabolism apparently was just going, going, going. So um, you know, I really feel bad for this thyroid as as uh, an organ because I find it's always getting blamed. Um, it is the victim. Um in sort of organ. the way
0: I always make fun of it as like a wimpy organ. I, I feel
2: <laughs> I, I feel bad for it, man. It gets bullied all the time, Yeah, the brain's right? just
1: like beating the shit yeah. out of it, basically.
2: <laughs> well, it's, it's the, the poor thyroid. Yeah. Um, so the other thing is, is that I will get patients who are adamant that they are not losing weight because it's their thyroid. And I think that's a large part of it. Possibly, um, but it's not the whole piece, and it it it, it never is. Um, another favorite hormone is is insulin, and so what I generally find is that's actually th- that's the magic, that's the fairy dust. Mm-hmm. Is if we can manipulate insulin, I can get a patient to lose weight.
0: Okay, Mary. So that, tell us a little bit that's the formula. Tell us a little bit how you'd explain, like, sort of what insulin does to the average person who is not a biochemist.
2: Okay, so for you listeners out there who are not biochemists um, and let's talk about insulin. So what insulin is, is it's a hormone that gets put on when we eat something. Okay, Um, so you eat food, your body makes insulin and that signal from insulin is fired out of your pancreas. And what it does is it tells the cell to gobble up all the sugar that's now around it. Okay, now that's the normal response. But we now have this thing called insulin resistance. And what that means is, let's say, for example, you take a baby and you have the baby sitting in a restaurant. Okay, Um, but it's way past that baby's bedtime. So after it screams its head from being up late, right, the noise around that baby becomes ambient noise. It doesn't hear the people. It doesn't hear the clinking glasses anymore, right? It gets used to the noise. So that baby falls asleep despite all the noise around it, okay? That's the cell hearing insulin all the time, okay? So this isn't a client that's insulin resistant. Let's say you take that baby and you put it in a crib inside a very quiet home. Okay. And you don't have a sound machine on. Um, So you have that baby in a silent house. And what happens when someone just even tiptoes past the baby's room and steps on a creaky floorboard, right? You hear, and that baby is like awake, right? And screaming. And it's because that baby can hear everything because it's now put into this really quiet home. And so That's the difference between a cell that properly responds to the signal of insulin and another cell that's hearing insulin all the time. It no longer responds. So our body, which are these beautiful vessels, it is trying to acclimatize to that all the time. So your pancreas is going to make more insulin because it's like, It does not like your cell swimming around in all this sugar. So it's like, pancreas, let's go. Let's make more insulin. So you know what it does? It makes more insulin. Mm. So it makes more insulin. And now the cell, right, is still swimming in sugar, but it's being screamed at by insulin, right? And then you know what it finally does? It listens. Because now insulin is completely surrounding the cell. It drinks up all the sugar at once. And that's your client who feels completely shaky, very hypoglycemic, and is like, oh, Mary, I can't go more than two hours because I got really shaky and I have to eat. That person actually is probably insulin resistant.
0: So that person's sort of swimming around with um, sort of ineffective but larger amounts of insulin What what's the long-term sort of results then like you're talking about I, is that sort of like hangriness I talk about patients getting hangry they get sort of irritable and short-term but what's the long-term effects of having you know a lot of your cells bathed in insulin for a long time
2: yeah so insulin has very beautiful qualities, but, but also you don't want those qualities all the time. So let's take, for example, why do we make insulin as humans? So insulin is a storage hormone and we need to store. We, we need to store because we need that fuel. And so insulin is going to take the sugar that we eat and pack it away um, into glycogen stores first. And those glycogen stores, those are our immediately readily sugar available stores. So this is the stuff that we're using right away. I call it the cash in the wallet, okay.
1: Back right? In the cave, we're we, running away from something
2: quickly. Absolutely. So we need that cash readily. We are gonna spend that cash right away. That's the first energy reserve we tap into, okay? Um, so insulin, for example, let's say, like what happens in the fall, right? we get all these starchy vegetables that are falling off of the Canadian trees, you got your your Macintosh apples and all these apples hitting, um, you know, falling off the tree, you've got squash that's that's growing. So animals would eat those, right? And we are animals. So we eat all these starchy vegetables. And then we make more insulin, it makes us more hungry, we eat more, right? And it sort of feeds the cycle, insulin will also make us more hungry. So we eat more starchy things, we get more hungry, we make more insulin. And cycle, cycle, cycle. And you know what happens? We get fatter and fatter and fatter and fatter because insulin tells the body, you've got to make fat. But we, we survived the
1: Canadian winter then in the cave.
2: You got right. it. So then we go to hibernate. We hibernate, right? And you know what we do? We don't eat, we sleep. Mm-hmm. So the big bears, we hibernate, but we had to get really fat before we hibernated, but we didn't eat while we were sleeping. We fed off our fat, right? And we used that fat while we were sleeping. And then, right, the ground thaws, berries grow back on the trees, and then we as animals would, you know, venture out of the cave and eat again, right? But our fat stores are gone. The thing is, us now in our human life, we have food in abundance all the time. But we are eating and our insulin is on as if we're preparing for hibernation all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we used to spend so much of our calories. If you look back at like uh, anthropology or what they call anthropological biology, I forget. I was reading. I, I read a lot. Anyway, there was um, they were just talking about how we used <laughs> to spend so much of our calories getting calories. Like you, you used to spend, like invest so much of the calories that you have. You know digging up some tubers and like persistence hunting something until it fell over and died and then you speared it and ate it like it wasn't skip
1: to... the dishes <laughs> yeah now it's
0: like you know uh make good click you know or go to the grocery store at any time you're just surrounded by like carbs and splendor
2: absolutely totally i think too what we have to understand is because that myth of the calories in versus calories out we used to always think okay if i eat low cal right if i eat something low fat if i eat di- if i drink diet coke this isn't going to make me lose weight but in terms of this whole um, magical hormone of insulin, right, what you have to understand is that all food has been measured on these scales. So we're, we're looking at the glycemic load, glycemic index, these are two different ways in which we measure food, and for uh, measuring its sugar response on our body. But there's now this new scale called the, the insulin index, it's actually not so new. But in terms of weight loss and how I address weight loss, I really look at this hormone. Um, And so what we have to understand is that anytime you put anything in your mouth, right? Um, Take it easy, Dave, no jokes here. Um, Let's keep it safe for the public. Um, So part of it is that, um, let's say we're putting food in our mouth, right? Or diet soda into our mouth, Um, your body will provoke insulin. It's going to make insulin, right? And I think that's the misconception is we used to think if we do low-cal stuff, we won't gain weight. But even if you eat low-calorie items, your body is still making insulin. If that signal is on in any amount, your body will never burn fat. It's metabolically impossible.
0: Yeah. Impossible. Yeah, it, it, there's the wisdom to it too, right? Like, it's like, okay, here's food. Get it in the cells. Like, Here. Because we didn't used to eat, yeah. you know, stuff our gob like five times a day, which I can do quite easily in North America.
2: Absolutely. But it's not only that. It's it's it, People don't understand. It's like I get my coffee, I'm swinging through Starbucks, and I've got it loaded with cream because I'm keto now. And I'm going to drink that all morning right? So then you, or you, or if you're like me, where I once was before I learned all about this is that I would heat that coffee like four times all morning because it was always cold by time. I would go because back have to four it
1: children.
2: because <laughs> yeah. I have four children. And so that coffee, I never, I could never get through the bottom, bottom of my cup and have it hot. But part of it is I was stimulating insulin all the time, all the time, all the time, right? Have a couple of, you know, almonds here, have a couple of uh, bites my apple there. But anytime you stimulate insulin, you automatically switch your metabolism from a burn to a storage, Mm -hmm. right? And so this is part of this weight loss conundrum is, is you got to shut that signal off. You got to shut it off right? Or you will never burn that reserve. And our body is so beautifully um, hardwired to always establish balance. So if you're eating, it's going to store it, right? And it's going to store it around your middle, right? It's going to wrap all the way around your organs. And the extra stuff, it's going to make cholesterol. So patients will have, the overweight patients, not all of them, but will have elevated cholesterols. Now they have elevated sugars. They have elevated insulin, right? Because your body is always trying to reach homostasis. So part of it is we got to drop that insulin. Right, So that the body can actually get into the glycogen stores, which is that cash I talked about. So we got to use up all that cash. And once that wallet's empty, and that's the hangries, Dave, once you spend all that cash, your body is like, your brain is like, oh my God, there's no more cash. There's no more cash. So it's going to get all of that, that anger stuff out because now you're a hunter and gatherer and got to go out there and kill some more because your body is starting to freak out that those glycogen stores are get emptying, right? Because your body is always trying to save its life. We do not want to die. Your brain is hardwired to not die. So let's do everything to survive. So, oh my God, he spent the cash he hasn't eaten in three hours, he's so hung- hungry, I'm getting hangry now, I must eat. So part of it is that hunger, our hunger hormone is um, controlled a little bit by that glycogen store. But part of it is that we have to almost push past that hunger so that our body can actually burn our holdings. And that's your love handles. Are you right? Are talking about me again? That
1: uh-huh. I can't see your love handles, Dave. Uh-huh. There's no judgment here. There's nothing but love. So, Mary, can we give our listeners like like some immediate um, actionable actionable advice on what you just said, and touching upon meal timing and helping your body go out of storage mode?
0: Yeah, naturopaths always say it depends. Kara, she's you know she's going to say that. It I know depends. she's going to say
1: that. <laughs>
2: So my answer is, it depends.
1: <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> um, Unless you're listening I, on the edge of your seat saying, okay, what's my next step here? I can't get to the beach." Yeah. So,
2: yeah. Okay. So the naturopathic podcast, because we want all these fabulous listeners listening all the time. So, you know, what's the take home, right? Why did I listen to the podcast in the first place? Um we, we have to work with that insulin. So lots of things will manipulate insulin. First of all, stress. So cortisol, your stress hormone, will manipulate insulin. Um, the number of hours you sleep will manipulate insulin. So I really like to keep it simple. Um, three meals a day. Eat three meals a day, no more than that. Okay? I like a gapping of at least four to five hours between our meals.
1: Our
0: grandparents. So kind that right,
2: you, eh? you got it. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner.
0: So right? what sort of gap do you want between...
2: Four to five hours in between. You taking notes, Dave? I you're gonna do this tomorrow with your patients. You gotta do show sure notes. <laughs> um, so then, uh, and water, lots and lots and lots of water because what we understand about water is first of all, we're like so dehydrated as a society. Um, if you're Canadian, you've had your heat blasting for the last few months um, as Kara takes a sip of mm-hmm. water. Um, and, and this is why our bowels are sluggish. So what we know too about weight is like our gut microbiome and how you eliminate is like crazy connected. They did these studies on these mice. Um, I don't know how much time we have here, but um, so they did these studies on these mice and they took them from birth. They put one grouping of mice into a very sterile um, situation. So they had absolutely zero bacteria in their gut. They took another group who were exposed to regular things, had like a regular display of all these different microflora in their gut, and they fed them, okay? They fed them the exact same nutritional foods, um, same calories, same amounts. And the sterile mice who had zero bacteria in their body were normal weight. The other grouping got fat, right? And so now you're like, okay, okay you know, this must be because, right, this must be because um, the thin, the sterile mice have a faster metabolism. But what they actually found is the sterile mice actually had a slower metabolism rate, right? And the other, the, the fatter mice, the only difference really was was their bacterial count. They actually found that the sterile mice also ate a lot more of the food. So they're eating more Right? They have slower metabolisms and they're still thinner. Okay, now so what they did is they were the like, okay, seat. this is cool.
0: I'm on the, okay.
1: On. The, the gut gangsta is like, tell me more. <laughs> this is like I know. And let's tell you so, so then, so, okay, here we go.
2: Pornography. <laughs> but this is this is supposed to be this is all exciting. We're making this sexy, sexy Sterile mice. <laughs> <I'm> sexy. Sterile <laughs> mice. <laughs> and their their gut microbiome. Um, what happened Dave, next? Try to take it easy. <laughs> take it easy there, Dave. Take it easy. Keep your Wait, shirt on. The um, <laughs> <laughs> so then what happens is they took the feces, so they did a fecal uh, transplant from, from our now fatter mice, and they put it into the sterile mice. And you know what happened? Those thin mice, they got fat. They ate less. Their metabolic rates went up to actually adopt the other grouping. And – they got fat? So our gut microbiome is playing like a massive, massive play here, right? And so what is that? We know that certain strains of bacteria will actually cause your body to um, extract more calories from your food. And also, it actually blocks your fat, right? So then there's a blocking agent in these bacteria that make your body not burn fat. It makes you hold fat. Our gut microbiome can make you fat. Yeah, I like it. Mind blown. So, so I know. I like. I we could keep deep diving here all day. um, But partly is what you have to understand is that weight loss may not be your fault. You are not fat because it's your fault. You are not fat because you're constantly eating cookies. Well, maybe, maybe constantly eating cookies, but, um, in part, you know, the, the patients that really are like, my story is that I diet, Mary, I'm eating three meals a day. I'm drinking the water. I'm eating the vegetables. I've been doing the keto. I've been doing the paleo, but why can't I lose weight? And it really comes down to, you know, full assessments, what is your gut microbiome doing? So, Kara, that your question about assessment, that that is part of it. What is their bowel health? How are they eating? How are they pooping? What's their poop look like? How often are they pooping? Right? Another assessment is how are you sleeping? Right? How how many hours of sleep are you getting? So back back in the day, 1910, we used to sleep nine hours a night on average right? That's how we slept. We, we would go to bed when the sun went down and we would get up before the sun came up, right? We slept nine hours. Now the average is six hours and less, okay? What we understand about weight gain is it starts at seven hours. With one night of missed sleep, our cortisol increases by 100%. 100%. One night. You stress about something, your presentation that you have to do or your podcast that you got to do the next day, you miss one night of sleep, right? Cortisol through the roof, 100%. What does cortisol do to our weight? It it makes you actually feel way more hungry the next day. So we call that hormone ghrelin. It, it just drives that hormone up and it also suppresses your leptin. And leptin is the hormone that makes us feel full, right? So like... What I'm saying is that stress is the epidemic and it just does a mess. It messes up our gut microbiome It messes up our hormones. Um, You know, we didn't even really get into the nuts and bolts of female hormones or sex hormones, um, but that can get all messed up through this process too. And that is a massive intricate
0: weave.
1: Um, uh, If you want to talk about sex hormones, then I'll get excited.
0: <laughs> we talked wow, about fecal everyone. transplants, which really satiated <laughs> my, you know, scientific uh side. So now Kara wants to talk about sex hormones and how it relates to weight. Go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you guys really like putting the pressure on here. Um okay, well, let's talk about hormones a little bit for for the for women listeners and men listeners, but um Okay, so let's just take this for example. So we, you know, just going back to the, the eat less, move more um, formula, we know that this is a myth. And, I, and, I, and I'm really here um, trying to break that myth, right? That this is a much more complex um, interwoven tapestry that we need to understand a lot deeper. Um, so with hormones, if you take a male and a female, Um, I have birthed all of those. So let's take my twins, right? Um, So I have my my Tommy and my Chloe, and they came out at the same time. So if we assess babies at birth, they have the exact same amount of body fat, okay? It is parallel. But right after puberty, okay, we see that the – so Chloe will gain 50% more body fat – than the male counterpart, right? Fifty percent. That's just for her getting armpit hair and pubic hair, and you know, and her periods coming, right? Fifty percent more body fat. That has nothing to do with what she ate. Absolutely zero. Right. So she can cut back on on her carbohydrate vegetables, right? And she can stop eating donuts and she can eat more salads. But part of it is that is her hormonal landscape. And so how do we work with that with our women? Um, you know, it, it's more that I think it's it's not even how do we work with them, but part of it is really understanding what is happening with these patients. Um, women going through menopause. So with women going through menopause and also what we'll notice in the second half of our cycle. So um, naturopaths love looking at hormones, um, you know, mainly in this luteal phase. So day day 21 or a week after you've ovulated. Um what we notice is post ovulation, so we'll get this surge of progesterone, right, and our estrogens right at to peak ovulation, and then after, in that second half, the two weeks, our PMS window, where where women get really, um, what's the word? PMSy. Here? PMSy. <laughs> PMSy. Um, so you know, grouchy and all that sort what of stuff. So what we're didn't, you're man, very uh, diplomatic. I'm <laughs> 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 um so what what we're noticing about these women in that second half is that with the plummeting of estrogen that also happens in the second half is that um that drives hunger it makes us more hungry we also notice that more triglycerides um which is a fat are released into the bloodstream so that also is making us much more hungry so so that hunger where you're just like, man i'm killing for a hershey bar um that's happening because your hormones are also driving that process, right? And and it's not just about willpower.
1: And that's a long time. You know, that's that's two weeks of the month versus, let's say, ovulation, which, you know, happens over, you know, one, two, maybe three-day period where your testosterone is higher. And you actually have um, – you actually burn more and build more muscle. But that's just a two- or three-day window. The window you're talking Absolutely. about, that's, you know, over – over the life of of a hormonal cycle that's half the time
2: right so now I've been on a diet right I've been dieting I've been so good since my period and then you know I ovulate and then now what happens it's like man these cravings are hard and it's like I'm I'm you know, well, you know, my cravings are maybe different than when I was 16, but like when I was 16, it was like, yeah, I hit me up with KFC and I can't wait to hit up a fish filet at McDonald's, I know weird stuff. But um, now it's all like, you know, different things. I still love my chocolate, but, um, so you're fighting those cravings. So now you have this tremendous amount of willpower, right? And so a lot of it isn't just willpower. It, it's, it's coming from a physiological place, right? And so it's really kind of helping women balance out their hormones. But I think also really understanding what's happening with their body. So, you know, shifting back to that place of shame and blame. Um, it's not all your fault, right? Um, the other piece here is taking it to... Um, Menopause. So what we know also is that you see that your your eggs are now, you know, shriveled up and they're gone, right? Um, they've all you know, there's this beautiful analogy given to me that I heard where you've got the all of these divers lined up, um, you know, being called to jump off a diving board, and it's like, next, right? Every month, next, and then the next diver would go, right? So I just think of all these like like guys in speedos along this bench with the bathing cap. And then, you know, they're just some, you know, the lifeguards calling the next diver, the next diver, next diver. But, you know, what happens here is that once we hit menopause, you know, the body's like next, but then these guys are like old, they're got metabolic syndrome. So they're all overweight. They got all this visceral fat because their insulin's going crazy, but they're sitting on this bench. Right. And they can't even hear because now they're like, they're deaf and they haven't gotten a hearing aid. And so um, the body's like, next. And then like eight of them jump up and they're like, oh, my God. She's calling me and they all run and they all jump, right? So we get these like tremendous, like crazy highs and lows happening through this, this menopausal um, period, right? But with these high swings of estrogen or, and really low swings of estrogen, um, what we're noticing is that with the low, when the estrogen is low, your body doesn't release fat. So these women, although they're dieting, um, their body doesn't surrender the fat. We don't lose it right? So not only are we eating less, but our body metabolically and hormonally won't let you get rid of the fat. So now we're extracting more fat from our food, extracting more calories from our food, and our hormone process is also not letting us lose that weight, right? So it's a very complex issue.
0: Is it just the drop in in estrogen levels? Or is this something that you can sort of sign yourself up for for the rest of your menopausal life like
2: it, it's yeah. the drop it's the drop yeah um so maybe that's it right how do we prevent that drop no, and that's beautiful right?
0: like you giving us this this expectation or context is really really helpful right it's like like you're like you're saying about the woman who's uh you know going through that the pms sort of time and you know that it it will help you deal with it a little bit better right like you'll feel less defeated and okay this is the part part of my cycle or this is the end of my you know um this is menopause and that's to be expected but this may not be forever it's the drop
1: i find my 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 women patients who i even just show them a hormone chart and say hey right after ovulation this is one drop of estrogen and then right before your period there's another drop you know, those are the times you're getting anxious. And like, yeah, as you say, Dave, just knowing physiologically what's happening to their like that, that those hormones are dropping, they can then in that day say, oh, this is what's happening.
2: And I think this is the value that naturopaths have to offer everybody is, is that conversation that we are having in that office is empowerment is coming from their knowledge of understanding, oh, this is what's happening mm-hmm right? And once you understand, then you realize, okay, I'm not going crazy. Um, You know, there's, there's something a little bit more here. So uh, that knowledge, the knowledge is power, right? Um, And, and this is the beautiful work that I know you guys are doing, and that I'm doing in my office with my patients all the time. And it's that education piece. And, you know, you cannot have these conversations, with your medical doctor, you just can't. And and it's not because they don't want to, because I know they're also sitting in a very frustrating place with the healthcare, but it's because they can't, mm-hmm. right? There is 20 more people waiting in that waiting room and they've got 15 minutes to distill down your problem and get you out of their office. So these deep, meaningful conversations where we're really trying to um, unpack what's happening for our patients, it, it is happening in these, these visits where I can spend an hour with my patient and I can work through their whole story, right? I can work through their childhood. I can work through, um, you know, I was I was listening to Jordan's talk on your podcast, and she was talking about um, small gestational babies, right? And if you were small, this leads you to be much higher for having diabetes for the rest of your life, because we know about these people, these babies that are um, being born premature or small, um, their whole insulin response is, is messed up from when they're smaller. And so this cycles them for the rest of their life, right? And so maybe you are overweight, because you were actually born small, Right. And so part of this is that your family doctor who's running you for screening for diabetes, he doesn't have the time to say, like, tell me, you know, because he's sitting across a 50 year old woman. Tell me what you weighed when you were born. Right. But that's the magic that we have. Right. Like we are the unicorns in the health profession.
1: I can imagine, Mary, Um, your patients must do do they have a sense of relief. Because, as you've said, and I'm sure all of us, the patients we see, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them, have come in with that story of "I'm exercising, I'm, you know, changing my diet, I'm doing everything possible, and I cannot lose weight." Um, I can just imagine the the sense of relief when they understand that it's not calorie in, calorie out. That maybe let's look at your hormones. Maybe someone's listening to my story and actually honoring it and saying this is not your fault. You're not lazy, you know, but we just, you just haven't had someone explain it to you or assess it properly.
2: Yeah. I, I, I have many patients like that. Um, and part of it is because we've been able to unlock something for these people. Um, I just had a woman here last week and she was told. Tell- so her story is this is um you know, she's a high-level executive. Um, she's very successful in her career, in her family, and to drive that, she was not eating well. And it wasn't until the death of her best friend that she really started to reflect back on our own life. And she was like, "Mary, I feel horrible. Like, I feel horrible. I'm, I'm tired. I'm overweight. I can't get to the gym because everything else was a priority." And so she started working with me. We, we've we've done a nutritional program for her. We've looked at her blood work. And the woman is doing phenomenal, right? She's lost 20 pounds in a, in a period of um, a few weeks. And she's working out her energy is just absolutely fabulous. And yes, she came with the motivation of wanting to lose weight. But for her, it was really about trying to reclaim her health, trying to be better at all of these other things in her life and having the energy to do so. And so she feels phenomenal. And the thing is, is that she was also trying before she came to my office, she was cutting her carbs at night. And she now has this, like she, she won't return to the way that she was eating before because she's like the value of my life and all the things that I'm getting are so phenomenal. Um, I have another client, a male, and he had been working out with numerous personal trainers for the last um, nine, 10 years. And he was getting a meal delivery service. Uh, He was intermittently fasting. He was, um, you know, doing all of these things. And he didn't lose anything through that journey at all. And so he finally came to me, um, recommended through the gym and he finally came to me and he's like, I don't know, you know, I, I can't lose weight. It doesn't matter what I do. I I'm in the gym four days a week. I'm working with a trainer. I actually order from a meal delivery service because I don't have the time to make my food, but I do this to keep myself accountable. And he, he's worked with me and he's lost 40 pounds in two months. And we've, we've just made really simple changes. We've just made him drink more water. We've put him on three meals a day. He's no longer allowed to chew gum or anything in between. Um, We've given a few supplements to help him sleep because that was a bit of an issue. Um, And now his body and his physiology is balanced and the weight is just pouring off of him.
0: Mary, we're just going to sort of wind things up here. Like we could go on, and I think we should have you back for another one. I think you got enough material that we could talk again. But just in case there is anyone listening, uh, sort of in your hood who uh, needs needs your help, where can they find you?
2: Um, so my clinic is over at uh, kingston road and victoria park in a complex called henley gardens i'm right between tim hortons and the beer store um and the uh so we we've got liver cleanses uh all set up here for you when you're ready um and we and online you know what we do do some distance consulting so that is available for people if they are not able to um, come right to the brick and mortar but, uh, yeah, the clinic's called Soma and Soul, and we'd be more than happy to work with anybody that wants to work with us.
0: All right, so we have, like, if you could, if you could really give us one simple, simple, simple takeaway, what, what would it be? And then we'll, then we'll set you free.
2: Uh, it's more than eat less and move more. It's a very complex issue, and you have to understand that weight, it's not your fault. Oh, I, it.
1: I love that. You can uh, you can see why Dr. Mary Choi was our class valid Victorian because she's got she's got she's well spoken, smart, and but she's got the fire and the passion. And uh, we uh, are happy to have a slice of that on TNP today.
2: Um, you guys, I'm so grateful for being a part of this and uh, being able to hang out with you guys was so cool. much fun.
0: All right, Mary, again, thank you so much. That Naturopathic Podcast, TNP. Hello there.